So breathe on us, breath of God. Lord, would you breathe life? And would you breathe truth? Lord, and would you um, open our hearts to hear that which you have for us this morning? Amen. This morning we're going to be reading from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So we're in Ephesians chapter 6. Um, we're going to read verses 10 to 20. And these are familiar words for many of us, but they are profound words. We're on page 1821. Starting at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. This is the word of the Lord. So we, as a church, have been on a journey. We've been on a journey of learning how to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Because we believe that the Holy Spirit lives inside us and is active and speaks and seeks to guide his people and his church. Galatians 5.25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so we've been working with this metaphor of dancing, and we went through these seven dynamics of how to dance with the Holy Spirit. We've got this foundation of love that draws us to participate and it calls us into prayer. And it calls us into prayer that pushes us out to operate in faith that's clothed with obedience. 
And then when we do that, we receive divine guidance from the Spirit of God that we must discern carefully. And finally, we welcome the work of the Spirit in his perfect Kairos timing. It sounds really simple, doesn't it? And really tremendously beautiful. But in the last couple of weeks, we've talked about how it can be so incredibly hard for us as humans to actually participate in this dance. We're clumsy and we're stubborn and we often miss the mark. We've talked about how it's so much easier to depend on other people and on their wisdom than the spirits. And we've talked about how somehow programs seem to be a lot safer than leaning on this spiritual partner. And last week we talked about how our own pride and our own impatience can keep us from the dance. We've easily seen how we ourselves can actually be our own obstacle and our own worst enemy in the dance. But this week we're going to turn the camera away from us and we're going to turn it on to a very real obstacle. And his name is the devil. It's the kingdom of darkness. It's our sworn enemy. And we're going to be looking at some of the ways that our enemy cuts in on this divine dynamic dance of cooperation. And so our text for this morning is about that enemy, believe it or not, because our text for this morning is about armor. And armor is something that is used for battle. You don't generally put armor on to go to the grocery store or to go to the beach. You put armor on because you are going to war. And as Paul makes clear in our text, we have a very real enemy and he is waging a very real war. He says, finally, be strong and in the Lord and his mighty power and put on that full armor so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. Paul goes on to say, therefore, because this enemy, this devil has very real schemes, because we are up against the rulers, the authorities, the powers, the spiritual principalities, therefore, armor up. First Peter 5, 8 echoes this when it says, Be alert and sober of mind because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But what does it look like when this enemy, this lion, is prowling and roaring around? And what does this battle look like and what schemes is Paul referring to? Now, my husband is a soldier, and he thinks in battle terms quite often. And it's not uncommon for him to ask me, so what's the battle plan? This is a question I hear about everything, from how we're going to get through the grocery store to what our weekend plans are. Like, what, what is the battle plan? <laughs> he didn't know I was going to say that. <laughs> but really, what he's asking me is what needs to be accomplished And what might the obstacles to this be? What problems can I anticipate? And how can I prepare well to avoid those obstacles? Because a good leader has a solid grasp on what the schemes of any enemy may look like. And don't you know that our Lord is the best leader of all? And he has given us so much information about these schemes that our enemy launches against us. And so this morning as we prepare for battle, because we are built 
to fight this battle for the kingdom of God. We're going to look at some of these schemes and we're going to learn to stand firm as Paul calls us to. And we're going to look at um, about five ways that we see the way that the devil tries to cut in on the Lord's attempts to cooperate with us and to fulfill God's purposes in us for his kingdom. And as a disclaimer, I just want to say that this is by no means an exhaustive list. Scripture says the devil is cunning and he is crafty and he masquerades as an angel of light and we would be here all day if we were rolling through the ways that he works. But I do believe that the Lord would lift the veil on some of these for us and that he would like us to be able to stand firm in the face of some of these. And so every week is a good note-taking week, but I want to invite you to ask the Lord to highlight what he might be stirring in you and to keep track of it as we go. So the first one that I want to talk about, this, this attempt to cut in, is an attempt to intimidate and to create fear. Scripture is quite clear that we as children of the king are not to be afraid. Fear is not part of our vocabulary. Scholars estimate that the phrase do not fear within the context of standing firm exists in the Bible over 80 times. Do not Fear. Now, why is fear such a big problem? It's quite simple. Fear compromises faith. Ephesians 2.8 tells us that it is by grace through faith that we have been saved. In Mark 5, after a woman who had been bleeding for 10 years merely touched the clothing of Jesus and was healed, Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you. In Matthew 17, after the disciples had been unable to drive out a demon an unclear, or an unclean spirit, Jesus explained to them that their faith had not been big enough to drive out the demon. And he goes on to say that faith as small as a mustard seed can drive out that demon and it can make a mountain move. Faith brings salvation. Faith heals, faith delivers, and faith moves mountains. But fear kills faith. And so, of course, one of our enemy's most productive ways to undo the dance of cooperation is to drop a seed of fear. And fear shows up everywhere. The enemy is exceptionally skilled at planting fear in us through the voices of other people, through our own flesh, and even through the voices that we speak to ourselves with. The voices of the demonic And he plants seeds of fear that choke out any faith that we've been given. Can you really trust God? What if he doesn't hear you? What if you're not good enough? What if you're not talented enough? What if you're going to fall on your face? When we fear rejection, we're unable to have faith in the Lord's love. And so we're unable to be in intimate relationship with him. When we fear that the Lord doesn't hear our prayers, we don't have the faith it takes to pray the mighty things that we're called to pray. When we fear that he won't heal or he won't deliver, we don't ask for those things and so we don't see them. And when we fear that we aren't good enough to do that, which we're quite sure he's calling us to, we fail to step into his good purposes and we fail to bear the fruit for his kingdom that he has for us. How often has fear stopped us from saying something? 
stopped us from standing up, from stepping out, from taking a risk, and from dancing with the Spirit of God. Next comes doubt. And doubt feels quite close to fear, but it's very distinct. We're looking at doubt that maligns or compromises the character of God. Doubt is what comes in and says that God isn't all that he says that he is. We see this so very clearly in the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis 3, in the fall of man, God created a good, good garden. And he was so good to Adam and Eve, and he withheld nothing good from his creation that he loved. And that serpent came right in and said, is God really that good? Did he say you can't eat that fruit? Because the thing is, this fruit's going to make you just as smart as he is. God's been holding out on you. He's not what he says that he is. The serpent twisted God's character and man fell. And the devil uses this tactic and the scheme all over the place. Did God really say that he's good all the time and that he can do anything? Because my life's pretty hard right now. And a good God doesn't compute with my existence. Did God really say that he heals and delivers? Because I've been praying for a really long time and I'm not so sure he's got that power that he says he has. Or maybe he just doesn't see me the way that he says he sees me. Doubt is that voice that says God isn't who he says he is. It's that voice that tells us that what God promises us in his word doesn't actually apply to us or our situation or our circumstance. When the enemy assaults with doubt, we again fail to stand in faith. We lose hope. We neglect to pray. We stay stuck. And we have this skewed picture of God that limits us from being in communion with him. We don't trust our dance partner, and so, of course, we refuse to dance. How often has doubt kept us from believing in Asking for and experiencing the Lord's goodness. Next comes criticism and accusation. And I'll tell you that this is the one that I feel the most deeply. And I think it's one that most of us really struggle with. Where doubt had sought to tarnish the character of God... Criticism and accusation quite often seeks to tarnish who we are in Christ. Now in the weeks ahead, we're going to be talking about who we are in Christ. What is our identity in Christ? And what does that mean for how God sees us and how we see us and how we operate in this world? So I'm not going to take away from that series, but scripture is quite clear about who we are in Christ. As we heard this morning, we are a new creation. We are sons and we are daughters of an all-powerful king of the universe who is seated on the throne over all. And we have been set free from our sin, from our death, from shame, from fear, and we have been called for good purposes. And the one who calls, he equips and he empowers. And we are entirely pleasing to him and we are entirely sufficient in him. And when the devil comes with accusation and with criticism, he seeks to attack all of that. Sometimes, again, it comes through the voices of other people. 
Sometimes it comes through our own flesh and sometimes it comes straight from the enemy himself. It's the voice that says, you're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You're not qualified enough. You're not creative enough. You're not strong enough. You are not this and you are not that and you are never, ever enough. This is also that running reel of play-by-play feedback that can come after almost every situation. It's the one that says you said the wrong thing. You did the wrong thing. You didn't do what you were supposed to do then and nobody really heard you. There's something wrong with you. You have failed. Sometimes the devil launches accusation and criticism against us, and sometimes he'll launch it against whatever we're doing for the kingdom of God. He'll come against our ministry with criticism and accusations. You flopped that teaching. You chose the wrong song. You said the wrong thing. You didn't work hard enough. You didn't spend enough time, and you didn't actually help anyone, and you did a poor job representing the Lord. You failed You failed those you're ministering to. This ministry costs too much. It's not worth your time, and it's not really that effective anyway. There's often an undercurrent of comparison that shows up in criticism and accusations. And comparison, it's poison. It's complete poison. It's that voice that says, "I'm, I'm not as smart as her. I'm not as talented as him. That person's a better musician. This person's a better speaker. And so I should just not get up there. If the devil can get us to compare us against one another, then he can get us to criticize ourselves and one another. And if he can get us to criticize, then he can get us to doubt the Lord's goodness. And if he can get us to doubt the Lord's goodness, he completely cripples our ability to cooperate with him and to walk in freedom. How often... Has criticism kept us from seeing who we are in Christ? If the voice of criticism is what drives your choices, the Lord has freedom for you. It's not of him. How often has criticism kept us from living into what God has for each one of us? Next comes flattery that leads to pride. Proverbs 16:18 tells us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. And Proverbs 26:12 tells us that do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. Scripture is quite clear that the person who is prideful is not only not walking with the Lord, but they're headed for destruction. And the devil uses pride Because it completely compromises humility. Humble yourselves, 1 Peter says, under God's mighty hand so that he may lift you up in due time. The enemy loves to flatter us and to puff us up with pride because if he can do that, then we turn our eyes away from where they belong on the Lord and they get flipped around right here. And it's sneaky. Like it's not always what we think pride looks like. Pride pulls us out of the fight because we start to become more obsessed with who we are and how we're doing and if we're operating right and if we're good enough. And we turn our eyes away from how completely wonderful and sufficient our Lord is. 
Pride's the voice that keeps us from seeing and confessing our sins. It's the voice that keeps us from submitting to the Lord's ways. And it's the voice that says, I'm, I'm doing pretty great. It's the way I am and I don't need to repent or change and I don't, I don't really need to take your advice. It's the voice that keeps us from receiving good advice and it's the voice that keeps us from moving forward in our walk with the Lord. It's the voice that says, I'll figure it out myself. Pride is also a voice that causes us to compare. It's a voice that causes us to criticize. It's the voice that says, I don't want to be part of this ministry because I think that I'm qualified to be over here. That would be better. It's the voice that says, I'm too good to be friends with this person because I'd really like to be friends with that person. When we find ourselves spending more time thinking about what we want and what we think we're qualified for, when it compromises our ability to look at what the Lord says and what he has, we're dealing with pride. How often has pride kept each one of us from submitting to the authority of the Lord and from his ways? How often has it caused us to be unkind to our brother or sister or cause us to dance to the beat of our own drum instead of the beautiful beat and dance that the Lord has for us. Next comes offense, and we're getting to the end, I promise. There will be joy at the end. Now, offense is a big one, and it shows up right alongside or behind or all intermingled with pride most often. Pride is fertile ground. For all kinds of offense. Because when we think we're right, then everybody else is wrong. That's how this works. Ephesians 4.3 says, Make every effort to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace. Offense is the opposite of unity and peace. See, God designed us all to be in unity with one another and to maintain a bond of peace. We are to work together as a unified body. An offense is a direct attack against unity and a direct attack against peace. And man, can we get offended by all kinds of things. You said this. You didn't say this. You looked at me. You didn't look at me. It goes on and on and on. Conversations, lack of conversations, the messages we hear, the ones we don't receive, the way we pray for one another, the way we just talk to one another, we can be offended by our brothers and sisters for a million different reasons. And then we're not living in in unity. And when we're offended, we're not feeling a lot of peace, are we? Offense is what we're dealing with when we think things like, man, I don't really want to go sit at that table because that person's there. And I don't really want to be part of that ministry because this person's there and I don't really work very well with them. It's the voice that says, I'm not willing to talk it out in order to be part of something with you. I'm not willing to come to the table and compromise. Offense is what we're looking at when people say things like, I love God, but I don't love the church. People have been offended, and they're unwilling to be part of the body that they're called to be part of. Offense is also poison to the kingdom. Hebrews 12:15 says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root can grow up to cause trouble and to defile many. 
Paul calls believers to extend the grace of God to everyone. The grace that we have received extends to everyone so that bitterness cannot take root because it does cause trouble and it does defile many. 2 Corinthians 11.4 tells us that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light and elsewhere he's crafty and cunning. He's the father of all lies and when the devil tries to cut in on the dance in these ways, he is crafty and he is cunning. All of these things that we look at, they cloud our judgment. They drive wedges. The devil comes in and soothes us with lies and eliminates our ability to see God clearly, to see ourselves clearly, and to see one another clearly, and to see his purposes clearly. The reality is that if we are motivated by anything other than the love of the Lord and the truth that is found in his word, the devil has likely found a way to cut in. And we are not operating in all that the Lord has for us, in his fullness and in his goodness. Now Paul knew these things to be altogether and entirely true when he wrote our text for this morning. You're in this battle, says Paul. Therefore, God has given us this tremendous gift of armor. Stand firm. He says with that belt of truth, because the truth tells us that God is good and God is faithful. The truth pushes out room for fear or doubt. And the truth is that we are redeemed and called for a purpose and entirely pleasing in God's sight. It pushes out any room for accusation or criticism that's not from the Lord. The truth is that our strength is found in our weakness and it pushes out any room for personal pride. And the truth is that none of us are without sin and that God extends grace to each one of us and it pushes out any room for offense. Now a belt holds every piece of the armor together and the truth of the Lord holds all of his purposes in place. Next Paul tells us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now a breastplate covers our hearts and our internal organs. Just as choosing righteousness protects us from the consequences of sin, righteousness leaves no room for comparison or criticism. Righteousness doesn't leave room for pride or bitter roots. Next, Paul tells us to fit our feet with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. What would it be if every step that we took was motivated by the gospel of peace? We should always be motivated by and fueled by and guided by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of love that bore salvation for the sake of the world. When the gospel is our driving force and the wind beneath our feet, it's very hard for the devil to cut in. In addition to all this, says Paul, take up the shield of faith. This might be my favorite part. Because that shield of faith, it extinguishes all these flaming darts of the enemy. If we have faith that God is always good, that God is always in control, and that his ways are always higher, the devil's attempts to cut in will be moot point, like a nerf dart that falls to the ground and has nowhere to stick in. And on your head, says Paul, put on that helmet of salvation. Let salvation the Lord's love and goodness, let it always be your first thought. Let it hold every one of your thoughts captive to that reality, the reality of his love.
And finally, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the very Word of God. The Word of God comes against any attempt of the enemy to thwart the plans of God, because it holds the truth. So here's the bad news, says Paul. We're we're in this battle, but there is good news. In his great love, the Lord has given us the battle plans of the enemy. We've been told what his schemes look like. And in his love, he's given us absolutely everything that we need to stand firm and to fight back. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. We can resist the devil and we can resist his schemes and he will flee. We are not victims. Scripture tells us that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I believe that this is the Lord's invitation to us this morning. Do not be baited by the devil's schemes. I've been at church for about three hours this morning. And I have seen every single one of these schemes listed come at me. There's been bait to be offended. There's been bait to be prideful. Every single one. Stand firm. These things happen all the time. Do not allow the devil to cut in. Instead, submit yourself to God. Seek his truth in all things. And no matter how that lion roars or how many flaming darts he hurls, no matter how hard that devil tries to cut in on God's plans and purposes for you, God is greater. He has the victory. And we can say it is well. I am held in peace, and I am a conqueror. So I'm going to close, and I'm going to pray. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know if the Lord is surfacing some of these things for you, if the Lord is strengthening your inner being to stand firm. But I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we pray. And so, Lord... We praise you that you are a conquering king. We praise you that you are good in all things. We praise you that you are powerful over all things. And Lord, we praise you that you did not make us to be victims, that you did not make us to be purposeless, and you did not make us to be lost without you. Lord, we thank you that we are victors, that we are conquerors, and that we can stand firm. And so, Lord, would you show us the ways that we've taken the bait? Lord, would you show us that um, those things within us that take the bait, Lord, and would you bring healing to those places? Lord, and would you equip us with every good gift from above to stand firm? Would you help us to battle for your kingdom and to be strong and to be courageous? Fill us with your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. So church family, let's stand and let's sing those words. It is well.